As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam. Here with me, as always, it's my co-host, TJ Peterson. Alex could not be with us this evening, but in his place, we have someone very, very special. Prospect analyst for the Hockey News. My favorite bald person on all of hockey Twitter, Tony Ferrari. Tony, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad, not too bad. Happy to talk about the absolutely loaded Florida Panthers prospect pool. Mm-hmm. The Panthers very notably do not have uh, a first-round pick <laughs> for the next three drafts, uh, 23, 4, and 5. And who knows what Bill Zito will do with the 2026, 7, 8, 9, whatever picks uh, are He's still recovering his- from that snub that you just made on him. Because he's not your favorite bald hockey Twitter person. I, I just said bald prospect cover or whatever, whatever I said. Oh, did you say L- that? I, I don't just, know. Like it's not listening. Limited. Out. Oh, you mean Bill Zito is. Yeah, Bill Zito. Exactly. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the Panthers don't have a first round pick for quite a few drafts. So we need to make the best of what we've got in our system. And who better than my friend, Tony, who covers prospects uh, for a very respected hockey outlet. So, Tony, the Florida Panthers prospect system, as you were very fondly mentioning, uh, not exactly the deepest in the NHL. And I I do want to point out, and Tony, we'll have you talk a little bit more about this at the end, but you do have an article coming out about this very topic uh, in the very near future as we are recording this. As it's released, it's probably already out, actually. So make sure you check that out alongside this podcast. These uh, They'll be very good together. So... Just generally, Tony, what uh, what are your feelings on the Panthers' prospects? Who are some guys to watch out for? Who are some kind of under-the-radar people? Don't spoil your entire article, of course, but uh, give us the lowdown. What do you, what do you got? It's, uh, it's not a great prospect pool at the end of the day. I think part of the reason that is is because guys like Anton Lindell and Spencer aren't considered prospects anymore at the end of the day. They're younger than a lot of the guys in their prospect pool because they were just drafted. But at the same time, they've kind of the, the way I did this was as soon as you've kind of breached your rookie eligibility, you're out of the prospect pool. You're an NHL or now you're not considered a prospect anymore. So both those guys are really high end players. Obviously we watched Anton Lundell be one of the guys that in most years probably would have been a finalist for the Calder, but there was obviously a really good year last year. Uh, and then Spencer Knight's one of the best goalie prospects in the game, if not the best goalie prospect in the game. So it, it kind of takes a hit from those guys being out, outside of it. But at the end of the day, there's some pretty interesting names and guys that are high swing, high end swings, like Alexi Alexi Heponiemi, a guy like Grigori Denisenko, who we kind of feel like we've been waiting on for a few years now. Yeah. And, and they have guys. So it's not like they're completely inept or they have no one in the prospect pool. But a lot of the guys, such as Justin Sordas, Sarah Noel, Vladislav Lukashevich, they're going to play in the NHL possibly, probably even, but they're not necessarily going to be the highest end guys filling up top six and top four roles. 
Yeah, and there are a lot of guys like that in the Panthers prospect system that have a shot of being NHLers, but it's a it's a long shot to being like the next Mackenzie Weeger or seventh round pick. But somebody that might actually have a shot of being a real impact player is the Panthers' most recent first round pick, and that's Mackie Samuskevich. I think I feel like when you talk about especially in the way that you put it with the prospects being everybody that isn't, you know, uh, beyond their rookie eligibility. Mackie Samuskevich is really the tip of the iceberg for the Panthers prospect system. And actually that's a terrible metaphor because like he's most of the iceberg. I feel like, yep. like their yeah. prospect pool <laughs> is maybe not 50% hinging upon Samuskevich being an impact player, but like it, it feels like it's close to 50%. So what, what are your feelings on him? Yeah, he's a really good player. I think that, as you noted, he is probably their top prospect right now and a guy that you look at and you're like, if he works out, then this prospect pool probably looks a little bit better. But Samuel Skevich is a really good player. He's a, almost a video game-like guy, I like to describe his game, because he's got unreal hands. The playmaking ability is really, really fun. It's it's creative. It's interesting. He's not going to necessarily make the same pass twice. You look at him and you go, there's some unpredictability to his game in a good way. It's not like you're out there just going, wow, this guy is just chaos. He's controlled. He knows what he's about to do, despite the fact that the other team has absolutely no idea. The only issue with that is with those kind of players, you can't play them with bottom six guys. You have to play them in the top six. So he's one of those guys that when he does come out of college, if he's not playing in your top six, you probably don't necessarily want him on out in the NHL because if he's playing with and bottom of the lineup guys, they're not going to be able to keep up with his creativity and his skill and stuff like that. So you need someone that can actually kind of convert on the chances he's going to create for them. So he's not a guy that's necessarily going to blow the doors off and, and take things down himself and be this guy that absolutely drives play at every moment of the game, but he's got that playmaking ability. He's got some transitional ability. I think he can kind of drive a line on his own as long as it's not the top line, but I, I think he's probably their best prospect and he's going to be a pretty solid NHLer at the end of the day. Now you did mention uh, Grigory Denisenko, like you said, like that's a guy who's he's he's been in this system for four years now, uh, and has yet to really be a mainstay as an NHL regular. Uh, and this, I guess, this question kind of goes for Hepaniemi too, who's been around even longer. He was uh, second round in twenty seventeen, um, I believe. TJ, correct me if I'm wrong. They're both on either on one-year deals or on the final year of their deals. Uh, Hepin um, Emmy signed an extension. He's on a one-year deal. I think, I think it's think one, th- yeah. I think this is the last ELC year for Denisenko. Mm-hmm. So I am exactly correct is what you were telling me. They are either on one-year deals or on the final year of their deal. Mm-hmm. Is this basically make or break time for those two guys? Like, obviously, Tony, you can't necessarily speak to what Bill Zito will do, but – this this is their last real go around as prospects, right? I mean, like, what are what are the chances that these two are actually going to be the players they were promised to be? Yeah, that's the thing with guys like this is they're 22, 23 years old now. Are they necessarily at the end of being a prospect? A lot of people like to say 25, but I do look at 23 as kind of that last year of being able to kind of reach your potential because – once you get to 23, like you look at the best players in the game today, whether it's a Kale McCarr and Austin Matthews, guys like those, go to Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon. By the time they were 23, you knew what they were. Yeah. You, you knew what they were going to be at the NHL level. You could see the potential. And yeah, there's maybe a couple extra years of growth, but you could, you could kind of see what, what kind of player they were. Grigory Denisenko, Alexei Hipponiumi, they've got all the skill in the world. You've seen the flashes and the flair and all the stuff that, entices you makes you want to believe in them 
they haven't been able to do it at the NHL level and at both of them at times have kind of struggled to do it at the AHL level. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see, Hey guys, like, can you do this at the AHL level? Like Dennis Sanko had 18 points last year in 30 games at the AHL level. Like that's not good enough. Like it, no, it, it just, isn't. it's not. So you want these guys to succeed. They're incredibly skilled players. And they're two of the guys that again, like Mackie Simoskevich, if they work out, this prospect pool looks a lot better. They'll, they're those high upside swings that the, that the, the, the Florida Panthers have taken. So you want some of those high upside swings to work. These two guys at the end of the day, they're not really looking like they are, even though they're two guys who I, I actually absolutely love coming out of the draft. Yeah. I mean, I remember back in uh, the good old puck 77 days, one of the articles that I wrote was Alexi Hapaniemi when he signed uh when he signed the ZLC, I put out a whole article about like this guy broke records in the WHL. He had an amazing te- one of the best teenage seasons in Liga history. Like this is a guy who is going to be something. And then just North American professional ice just never was able to, or rather hasn't yet been able to, to really put it together. And I mean, you uh, see the vision, like his, his yeah. vision is still like upper echelon above NHL average, like well above it, probably as Corey Promen likes to use as a barometer NHL average. Like, but the, the problem is that he just like never really put on the weight that he needed to. And I mean, his body was just so slim that it was always going to be an upward battle, but it, that was one of the things that, I mean, you, you know, you have to build that rest of the ice game too, especially like if you're not skilled enough where we, we were talking about his vision, it's like, it's very high level, but it's not like he's Jonathan Huberto. It's not like he's Connor McDavid. So yeah. like he can't get by on that alone. You know, he's got to be able to get to the spot where he can make the pass. And that's been a problem. You know, there's in the, at the NHL level, there's been lots of flashes, but overall, like when you look at the course and the expected goals, it's like, Oh, he's, you know, he's underperforming your fourth line scrubs, your, you know, Ryan Lombergs, just for the sake of, you know, Florida's 12th best forward is Ryan, Ryan Lomberg, not to say that he's limited to being a fourth line scrub. <laughs> I would no, not say Lomberg is 12, just, just for the record. And that's just it though, right? Like you look at Haponiemi and the vision's unreal. He had 30 assists at the HL level last year. And he's able to do it, but like guys like Jeremy Brack were able to do it. Guys like Dylan Sakura were able to do it at the AHL level. They never worked out to the NHL level, though. That's the problem. And there's so many guys that can do it at the AHL level because they're able to play on the perimeter and exploit just undermanned defensive units in the AHL. And once you get to the NHL, even the worst player is a really good player. Like we, we joke like about some of the players on some of the teams across the league, like even looking at the the Florida defensive pairings right now, like Mark Stahl's possibly going to play in games for the Florida Panthers this year. At the end of the day, I don't know if Mark Stahl's going to be letting up the passes that Heponiemi is going to make at the AHL level. So you're looking at him and you're like, do this at the NHL level because he has the skill. He has the vision that the weight is still an issue though. He's still like 155 pounds, 160 yeah. pounds. And, and you're going to get pushed around like that. Not many players can play like that at the NHL level. I mean, you look around the league, Johnny Goudreau weighs more than that. And Mitch Marner weighs more than that. Like even the small guys are bigger than that. So he's got to figure out that. And, and whether it's weight room stuff or whatever it is, hopefully he can figure it out because he does have so much talent. And he would be so fun at the NHL level. Yeah. Very famous. Uh, eat more food. That was uh, famous for us. Famous for said us. it to us. 
That was TJ. Uh, TJ yeah. managed to get press passes for uh, for Dev Camp, and I think this was 2017. I think it was just his draft, draft year. year. Yeah, and he managed to get some uh, some FaceTime and a couple of sound bites from some of the prospects. I think it was it was, was Heaven Yemi, uh, Harlem, and Gildon. Yeah, Gildon. And uh, TJ did ask flat out, like, "What do you think you need to do to prepare for the next level?" And <laughs> Heaven Yemi's answer was, "Eat more food." Yeah, I, I was asking him about his weight specifically, so that you know, didn't come out of left field. That's I mean, one of my favorite clearly, podcast moments ever. It's clearly, a problem he hasn't ending. done it, <laughs> right? Or he he did, but I don't know. Maybe that uh, that AHL conditioning is just more than he's used to. Uh, oh. Yeah, and then I mean, and then beyond that, there's a guy like Denisenko, who our biggest gripe with him was uh, even like leading up to his draft. Uh, or at least right after his draft was, well, he's always really good at world juniors, but he's never really been able to succeed in league play. And it seems like that's kind of the case with the AHL now too, that that trend is unfortunately continuing. What's his problem? (laughs) I wish I could tell you because he has the skill. Like this is one of those guys you watch, you watch play and there's flashes and highlights and you could build the, an incredible YouTube video about him just with some of the skill and some of the moves he makes in the, in, in space. He's got so many tools. It's just one of those guys where you're like, where's your toolbox? Like put, put things away, like organize your, your traits because you have no idea what you're doing with all of them. Like he's one of those guys that I look at and you're like, man, in warmups, he's so fun to watch. Yeah. But the warm-ups aren't the game at the end of the day. And once things get moving, guys get moving faster. Structure gets involved in the game. That's where his game starts to fall apart. And, I mean, 18 points in 30 games, it is what it is. It's nothing to ride home about. It's nothing fantastic. But maybe he's kind of going to catch on. He's still got time. He's only 22. So there's time. But it, it's getting to that point where you're like, all right, it's put up or shut up time. Right. Yeah. It, it's a horrible confluence of events that, like, he has a mediocre AHL season and then like breaks his leg or I can't remember the exact injury that he had where he missed the, the bulk of the second half of the AHL season yeah. and didn't get to play in the playoffs. Cause you know, maybe you're thinking because he shows up at world juniors, but not in league play, he's more of a playoff type player and he, he would have been good in the playoffs, but we never got to see that. I, th- I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he recovers from that injury. Cause you know, there, there's spots available. You know, they, they went out and signed players yeah. for league minimum contracts, potentially play on, on this lineup just because they're the, they're losing so many guys. They're losing a Giroux, a Marchman, a Huberto got traded. You know, Kachuk came in, but, you know, you, you still have to fill out the roster. And, you know, he, he'll get a shot if he can really perform to the level that was expected of him at the uh, AHL level. Uh, so let's turn to the defense where, the, there's lots of guys as you know any NHL looks system. even worse yeah <laughs> i mean there's lots of guys in the on the defensive side which you know nhl any nhl team probably has a bunch of prospects but uh it, it's iffy in terms of where the the next uh guy that's going to come in and be a real impact player is uh, if you were to ask me i would say the most likely guy is michael benning who i call matt benning all the time by accident who just had a phenomenal scoring season in the NCAA. I posted a a chart about it. Uh, Fourth most points by a defenseman in a season since the turn of the century. So that's pretty solid when you have a better season than guys like Quinn Hughes or Zach Wierenski. And you're, you're just beaten by a guy like, I don't know, Adam Fox, 
you know, pretty, pretty decent defender. Uh, what are your thoughts on Michael Benning? Michael Benning's a really fun player. Like, like he, I, I remember watching him in the AJHL, and you, you'd see him kind of just do stuff. And, and like that sounds weird to say about any player, but he he was just out there playing with guys at times. It was it was almost like he he knew he was too good for that level, and he just <laughs> did whatever he wanted at times. Going to the NCAA was a little bit of an adjustment for him. He had tw- eleven points in his in his first season, his freshman year with the University of Denver, and then he, he blew up this year for thirty eight and forty one games and fifteen goals that goal scoring is probably not sustainable at the next level. So you look at the assists and he had 23 last year. I watched him play a few times and he was pretty good. Like he's a very dynamic offensive defenseman still. I think some of his skating, he's still going to need to generate a little bit more power. He has the agility and everything that you'd like to see from a defenseman. Is he going to be at that Adam Fox? Is he going to be a Kale McCarr guys that came out of college and absolutely blew things up? I, I don't think he's got that level of skill, that level of ability, even though some of the comparisons to Kale McCarr coming out of, you know, or coming out of the AJHL and then university were, were obviously there because just easy to tie into him, mm-hmm. but he's a really good defenseman. Who's going to play in the offensive end. His defensive game still needs work. I'd say, I think he, he has some lapses defensively. He'll kind of be a little bit lazy, lead too much with his mm-hmm. stick and, and not really kind of get his feet moving in his own end, which is unfortunate because he does have the, some pretty decent four-way mobility. It, it's one of those things where it's like, just commit to playing a little bit more defensively. You don't have to throw your body and kill guys along the boards. It's not ever going to be the game. He plays at five, nine, five, ten at the, at the most, but he's going to be able to lead with his stick uses skill to out skill guys going to the corners and not bang and mash, but just strip the puck out, put it into space and skate onto it. Like that's what guys like Kim McCarr, uh, Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, that's what they do. And that's where they succeed in the defensive end. And obviously some of those guys, especially like Quinn Hughes needs to work on it on his defensive prowess, but a guy like Michael, Michael Benning can be that style of player, an offensive guy that leans that way and then put pair him with a guy that's a little bit better defensively. Let, let someone else fill those gaps for him. And then he can just kind of hold his head above water in his own end because his defense or his offensive traits are really good. And he can run a power play and he can do a lot of these things. So if there's an impact player on the defensive end, I'd say probably it is Michael Benning, but there's also the risk of him getting to the NHL and kind of having that Grigori Denisenko, that Alexi Heponiemi syndrome where they play a year in the AHL or something and they look really good there or they look half decent there. So you give them some NHL minutes and they look completely overwhelmed. So I think that is still a concern with, with Michael Benning, but at the end of the day, the more college he plays, the more experience against older players, against stronger players he's going to get. So I think as long as they don't rush this kid, I think that's going to be the best case scenario for him. Yeah, totally. Uh, three things not to overwhelm you. One, I, I would would be remiss to not mention that he was frozen for MVP. Mm-hmm. So that's a clutch performer for sure. Uh, number two, in, in terms of putting it with the defensive first guy, like that's the easiest defenseman to find in the NHL. Yeah. That like bottom four left-handed defenseman, especially that like doesn't necessarily score, but like you can count upon them defensively. There's those guys are a dime a dozen. And I think it won't be a problem to find one of those. But in terms of the comps, like everybody would make the Kale McCarr comparison just because, you know, AJHL guy that went to college and it's a little bit lazy, even though, you know, he does play like with that highly active offensive style. You know, I I think you're more looking at it like a Tyson Berry type, not necessarily going to play the same way that Tyson Berry does, but but that's the role that he's going to play in. He'll, He'll potentially be your power play quarterback. And I mean, the way that Florida is set up in, in years to come. 
he could absolutely be the power play quarterback because Aaron Ekblad just really has never been successful as a power play quarterback, despite all his other awesome qualities. In fact, you know, pretty much all of last year, he was in one of the, uh, he was on one of the half walls. He was the trigger man on the power play. So, you know, mm-hmm. potentially you have Michael Benning setting him up for that, or, you know, he's, he's scored lots of goals, as you mentioned. So maybe he's that one timer threat, but I mean, he, he, you know, you look at the points and just the, the flat out like ability and look, he, he won a championship. He was a big time performer right. on a championship winning team. Like you got to get excited about all that stuff. And that, that's why I like, I think that it's easy to get most excited about him on the defensive side. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the championship, the MVP, all that uh, are are great things. And that's why I I think he is going to be a successful player at the NHL level. I think he's going to make it to the league. And like you said, a Tyson Berry is probably a a perfect comparison for him. A guy that is going to go in there, you give him all the power play time he needs, let him rack up the points there, toss him on the second pairing at five on five with a defensive guy. And he's going to be able to kind of push play offensively that way as well. And I mean, you don't have to worry about him too much defensively because you're not going to, at the end of the day, put him in those situations. You're not going to ask him to necessarily penalty kill. You're not going to ask him to be the guy in the defensive zone when you're taking important face-offs and whatnot at the end of the game. You have Aaron Eckblad for all of those things. Let Michael Benning do what he does, and I think that's going to be the thing that is going to find most success in his game. Also, Tory Krug. There, that's another yes. Yeah. There actually is a left-handed defense first guy uh, that might look interesting with Michael Benning. In the Panthers system already. How odd. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about, and this is, I'm going to preface this by also saying an unfortunate injury derailed his uh, his past season. Uh, but former guest of the show, Johnny Ludwig, uh, is also someone that a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are interested in uh, for many reasons. Uh, of course, he's got that big frame, or bigger anyway, not necessarily huge. He's not a Chara type uh, or even an Ekblad type. Uh, in terms of size, but defense first guy who is a left shot, uh, who may sooner rather than later have a crack at at the NHL lineup, especially with how shallow the Panthers NHL defense is. What do you think about Ludwig, Tony, and uh, how might his injury from last season kind of derail his chances in the near future? I think in the near future, it's going to be one of those things where you want the guy to get back playing, get back comfortable, he played what five games last year, three it games really last year. Wasn't very many. Yeah. In the year before he only played 13. So in the last two years, he's played 16 games total. You want this guy to get back playing games, let him play 50 games at the HL level, let him get his feet under him, get comfortable. Cause the first 10 games he plays this year are probably going to be a little uncomfortable for him. A little, a little bit odd, a little bit weird being back on the ice, being getting back up to the pace, pace of the pro game again. So it's going to be interesting because, like you said, he is a defensive guy. He's got a big shot. He can kind of contribute when he can, when he's allowed to be put in that situation offensively. But at the end of the day, defense is where this guy's going to make his money, kind of being physical, getting in the, in the corners, clearing the net front. That's what this guy. That's what Johnny Ludwig has done for the last. For the well, I won't. I was going to say the last few years, but that's what he did when he was with Portland in the WHL. You want this guy to develop, get comfortable again, but this year next year this year's probably not likely unless there's an injury towards the end of the year that he can kind of come up and fill but at the end of the day i think in his age 24 season he's 22 now that's probably when he gets to the nhl and starts to make an impact at least and that's when you don't have to worry about getting a mark stall to fill that role in the yeah. on the uh, <laughs> nhl lineup you know i accidentally just did something to myself 
and TJ will probably already know what this thing is. I accidentally just made myself extremely excited about the prospect of one day Ludwig Benning as a pairing. <laughs> In my head now, as, a, as an extremely biased Panthers fan, Ludwig Benning is the best pairing in the NHL. (laughs) Of course. Especially if we ever get Michael Benning on as a guest, because then we would have had a whole NHL pair. We're going to work on that now that we've we've said that. We need to do that now. We're going to do it. That's your next next communications project to get uh, Mike Benning. Uh, Yeah, so Sanheim Eblad, Ludwig Benning. Stanley Cup. We don't even need a third pair. Like we're good. Perfect. Tony, you can tell oh. me if you agree with this, but like I think that some people have a misconception that like if you're supposed to be a defensive type D, that your points as a like an NCAA or you know a CHL player or you know a player in a European league don't matter. And I totally disagree with that. Like you see guys that are built up as defensive type guys who've never put up the points in these, you know, junior leagues, like Eric could Branson don't mean to make him into the podcast whipping boy, even though like he you already should, is like, it's too late, <laughs> but like, you know, that's a perfect example. A guy that was taken too early. Everybody was like, don't worry about his points. Don't worry. Like he'll be fine. And then he like, he just couldn't ever hang on, you know, top four level. And I, I think that when you see guys like that, you know, it's very rare that somebody doesn't produce points and it turns out that they can actually hang against top four or top six forwards. And, you know, there's, there's a few rare examples, but typically it's like the Ryan Ellis types who Ryan Ellis has become like one of those great defenders in the league. And he was a major point producer in junior. And that's another reason that I think you can be optimistic about Ludwig because he really put up the points his final year in the dub where he was able to actually get games. his opportunity. Like, does is that something that you could generally agree with that, like, you still need to put up points even as a defensive defenseman in juniors in college? Oh, it's something I 100% agree with. I think it's far too often you see teams dismiss the points and they go, oh, don't worry, don't worry. He's a defensive guy, so we don't have to worry the fact that he got 12 points last year. I think you look at some of the draft picks this year. I, I won't name them, throw them under the bus, but there's a few defensemen drafted in the first round this year that teams clearly were like, well, he's six foot seven or six foot five, and don't worry about the point. He had, it's okay that he had 18 points this year. He's built like a LeBron. Exactly. Right? <laughs> like that'd be great if you were looking for a shooting guard or a small forward, <laughs> yeah, come on. but you're not like you're looking for a defenseman. And at the end of the day, being capable with the puck is a huge thing at the NHL level. That's why you see so many of these defensive defensemen still putting up 50, 60, 70 points at the junior level, because that's what they still have to be able to do. Like at the end of the day, you need to be able to do something with the puck. Once it's on your stick, you can be the best defender in the world, but if you can't do anything once the puck's on your stick, you're Martin Marincin, and he was god-awful at the NHL level. So you look at a guy like another guy in the system that I think is going to be a really good defensive defenseman for the for the Panthers is Evan Nouse, who's there drafted last year. Put up 46 points in 59 games this year. He's not a world beater by any means, but this is one of the better transitional players in the draft. He's so good at dealing with a four check, understanding 
how to read the play and, and understand where the four checkers are coming in at, where they're attacking at, where to position his body and instantly kind of knows where to break the puck out. And even if it's just a short pass behind the net, a, a small pass up the wall, he knows how to get out of that, that situation where he's got two four checkers bearing down on him after the puck's dumped in. And I think that's such an important ability. And this year he showed the ability to kind of play a little bit offensively as well, move the puck, make some passes in the offensive zone. You don't have to be the Michael Benning. You don't have to be Kale McCarr. No one's asking to be that, but you have to be capable with the puck. Show that you're at least able to make a pass from point A to point B, because when you get to the NHL level, you're going to have to make a pass from point A to point B. You can't just rely on being six foot seven and beating guys with your size. Like it's just not going to work at that level. So, cause everyone's six foot four, everyone's six foot three. Mm-hmm. Like you have, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not Johnny Goudreau for checking on you all the time. It's going to be Austin Matthews. It's going to be a Matthew Kachuk. It's going to be these guys that have some heft to their frame and have the speed and the size that are going to be able to get under your skin, get in, in behind you. If you can't move the puck, you're going to be useless at the NHL level. And I think that's why guys like Evan Nose, Johnny Ludwig are important because They've shown the ability, hey, like I know how to score. I know how to produce offense at a base level. Even if it's not dynamic, I can get the puck from point A to point B. And I think that is really important because you don't often see these guys making it to the NHL level where it's like, yeah, they, they were had, they've had 18 points their entire career. Like, okay, they're going to have zero at the NHL level because they're not going to be able to play any games. <laughs> yeah. Unrelated, but good for Caden Gooley putting up 40 <laughs> points in 42 games at the, in the WHL at his age 20 season. Yeah, we might have um, to be loud wrong about Caden Gooley because we were we were not fans. Oh, I was being a little bit sarcastic. Oh, okay. I, I was not the biggest Caden Gooley fan either. Yeah, so, no. I, me, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, there's still time. He's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> he, I, I, elite as, trash talker. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's important, especially that in Montreal. Important. That is important. Um, so you actually, Tony, just did something great for our ability to transition here. So we kind of hit on a lot of the guys that uh, that people do know about or that people know a little bit more about that have maybe been around for a while or have had a little bit more a uh, little bit more limelight, like Sam Miskevich. Um, I want to get into the weeds a little bit here about some of the guys that might not be as well known, some of the uh, – some of the potential underdogs, and you just mentioned Evan Noss, who is one of those guys. Uh, Panthers fans do, they, they know the name, but we don't really know a whole lot about him uh, other than like what they said on draft day last year. Yeah. So you mentioned him as, as one of those guys that might do the thing that you said. One day be an NHL player. Yeah. yeah something um, like that. Continue. <laughs> who, who are some other depth guys in the system, basically? Well, I think with Evan now, it's the big thing is like he, he's so good at just reading the play defensively. He's not going to wow you, but he's going to make that. He's going to be able to go get that puck when it's dumped in. He's going to be able to deal with the transition play and, and kind of thwart play before it really gets hemmed into his own zone. And I think that's a big thing in today's game. The 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 Panthers just signed Nathan Steos, who a lot of people seem to have an yeah. obsession with because he's four feet tall and moves the puck like a wizard, but. He is twenty. He was a twenty-year-old defenseman at the OHL level, mm-hmm. just kind of whipping the puck around and doing stuff like that. It's a long shot, but I think there's some, there's some ability there. If he ends up being a an AHL All Star, great. Like you signed him for nothing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing with him. Matt Kirsted, the guy they signed last year, came out of college and everything. I think he's a really solid two-way defenseman, a guy that isn't going to blow your mind offensively, isn't going to worry you too much defensively, but he's a transitional guy, a guy that can get the puck from from the defensive zone to the offensive zone. And then, like I said, be capable. 
that's all you need to do at the NHL level sometimes as a defenseman. When you're able to kind of just stop playing transition, he skates well, and that's that's a big trait in the NHL in today's game. You can't really have success as a defenseman if you can't skate. Max Kirsted does that. You're looking down the list a little bit more. Vladislav Lukashevich is a guy that just kind of is a jerk at times. He's a guy that there's so many times where I've watched him, and I'm just like, oh, okay, like you're just going to go in there and you're just going to be a bit of a, a, a P, POS to deal with. You're going to go in there and kind of be tough to deal with when, when you're kind of coming in transitionally. He's going to be able to come into the boards, close you out, use his stick to poke the puck free. And then he has that puck moving ability as well. I think, again, he's not going to be this offensive wizard, but you see him play a little bit at the MHL level and move the puck. He, but again, he's another one of those guys where he, he took a little bit of a step back this year. And I think, I don't know if that's just because of the year, the, the team in, in local Yaroslavl and the MHL, it's always up and down with them. But he did only have five assists in 26 games this year after having 19 points in 36 last year. So you're seeing that regression. There's a lot of guys on the back end that you're like, there's someone with talent. Like they, they didn't draft bad players. Whether or not they work out, it's going to be interesting because the Panthers have a lot of those guys that they just seem to take swings on. And, and while I respect the hell out of that, because I think that's the best way to draft at the end of the day, especially once you get outside the first round, you're, you're looking at guys and you're going, where are the guys that are really going to work out? And I think that's the, the question with the, the Panthers. Cause I mean, even looking up at the forward depth a guy like Elliot Eckmark really like him, got a ton of skill four checks gets in on the four check fast guy understands where to be in the offensive zone also disappears for long stretches of play. And you're, you're wondering what, what he's doing with his game and stuff like that. He's got the speed. He's got some puck skill. He can be useful in the penalty kill. Cause he really just closes out and pressures guys. What is he going to be at the next level? And I think that's the question with a lot of the guys that the Panthers have is what are they going to be? Because they find medium mediocre levels of success in, in the pro leagues in Europe or in the AHL or in junior and college, but they never really start and shine. So Having guys like Michael Benning is, a, is obviously a benefit, but there's so many guys that it just feels like the Panthers just swung on and crossed their fingers with. Mm-hmm. And at some point you do have to put them into the shell or maybe you don't because mm-hmm. they're just not good enough, but like you got to fill your roster somehow. Uh, yeah. I want to start uh, mixing in some listener question, questions. And I, I feel like we haven't really talked all about, you know, everything else, but uh, there's some listener questions we can get in here that, you know, fit with the topic. And actually two people asked us pretty much the same question, a uh, friend of the show, Mal- Malgan and Tonic, and also a uh, friend of the show, Cody Stevens. Oh, asked, changed his display name. <laughs> which defenseman prospect do you guys think has the best chance of making the team? Which D prospects can make the team this year? So what are your thoughts, Tony? Uh, this year, Matt Kirsted. That's the guy I'm going to go with and making a team this year. I think he's got some ability to do it this year. There's a spot um, for him if he wants to take it. It's not going to be given to him, but he's a left-handed shot. That that left side is not all that deep, let's be honest. Uh, Eric or Mark Stahl was signed for a reason, and I think Mark Stahl was signed as kind of that guy where is if someone doesn't claim that spot, at least we have a guy that's played NHL games there. Yeah. Breaking case so, of emergency. Exactly. Right. <laughs> He's that emergency box in the hallway of your apartment building or something. Right. It's you hope you don't have to play him, but if you do, you, you have to. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what he's there for. But I think Matt Kirsten's a guy that can play at that level. I think he, he showed a little bit last year in the, the brief stint he had. 
how much does he play and how quickly does he get in the lineup? That's the other question because there are so many guys in this, this system that could play, but how successful are they going to be? And I think Matt Kearse is probably the one that's most NHL ready. Um, yeah, we, I mean, I don't know how you could disrespect the Panthers left side when <laughs> one LD is noted waiver wire claim, uh, Gus Forsling. <laughs> <laughs> we like yeah, it though. So we like Forsling. We, we, we are big Forsling fans here. Someone else that Panthers fans are either very hot and cold on is Lucas Carlson. We're very um, hot all the time, by the way. He's on Carlson. Favorite. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, just, just needed to put the qualifier out there. <laughs> it is very warm in my apartment right now, though. I should turn down the AC. Yeah, Carl, Carlson's a guy who played to some pretty solid success in the NHL this past season, uh, but kind of lost favor with the coaching staff towards the end of it. What what can you tell us about Luke, a guy like Lucas Carlson, who, who hasn't necessarily he, – he's not like the hot name – Always the hot and name to me. People either love him or hate him. On uh, Panthers fans either love this guy or, or think he's the worst thing since Keith Yandel. Well, that's that's th- <laughs> the worst thing since Keith Yandel. That's amazing. Well, I know that's not that long ago, but <laughs> no, feels but like it was. I know, because eh? yeah. his Iron Man streak has been going on forty-five mm-hmm. years. Um, but no, honestly, Lu- Lucas Carlson's a guy that he has the skating ability at times, but then there's times where you see him just floating around, and you're like, why aren't you using it? He he closes gaps up defensively really well. I think that's where he probably excels the best defending in transition. I don't think he has all that much offensive upside. I don't think you're going to be looking at this guy and going, oh, he could run a power play by any means. It's not his game. But what is he going to be? I think he's another one of those what are you kind of guys. The way I look at him, he's a pretty decent third pairing defenseman who can kind of defend transition, play on the penalty kill, maybe eat up some minutes there, take away the defensive minutes that you don't necessarily want to give to a guy in the future like a Michael Benning. But at the same time, he's a 25-year-old that hasn't been able to really catch on in the NHL level. Like, I'm just looking at this, uh, this past few seasons here and 6, 12, uh, 40 last year. Like, he hasn't really been able to sit in the NHL and play an extended period of time. And like you said, he ended up losing the coaching staff by the end of the season last year. There's a new coaching staff obviously coming into the team this year. Maybe he can kind of impress them and play that defensive game that he knows how to play. But he's not going to be a guy that plays in the power play. He's not going to be a guy that wows anybody. So he has to really kind of play that good defensive game. And it's not like he's a big guy banging him and crashing back there either. He's six foot tall, 190 pounds, so he's got a solid frame. But he's not necessarily going to be blowing guys up. He's not going to be making huge plays that way so he's got to be one of those guys that are just quietly reliable it, one of those guys that the less you hear his name the less you actually worry about him because if you don't hear his name he's probably doing a good job that night tj were there uh additional listener questions that you wanted to get to uh i think we can leave them towards the end while we're while we're talking about d though i i asked for hot takes and this is my favorite by far this is from Mike Costin, hot prospect takes, by the way. Uh, his take was Johnny Ludwig levels a guy clean in training camp. Scrum ensues and a fight breaks out. Maurice loves it. He has a solid camp and earns a spot on the opening night roster, which is is a great hot take. I would love for it to happen. I don't know how likely it is to happen. But... I, I wouldn't love for John Ludwig to cause a fight in training <laughs> camp. 
there's I mean, no good training camp if there's not a good fight. I mean, like, uh, remember the rule Blues NFL. Why not had bring the it practice to the fight. NFL? Zach Sanford fan, are we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, I wouldn't. I mean, I would be surprised if Ludwig was an opening night guy, yeah. but I think a guy like John Ludwig will curry favor with Paul Maurice's coaching staff very quickly. Yeah. So we shouldn't go this whole podcast without mentioning the position, even though the Panthers don't really have anything special at it. Uh, what are your thoughts on their goaltending prospects? Uh, Spencer Knight's dope. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I can't hear this. I can't hear the question over Spencer Knight. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, it, it sounds sounds mean to say, like dismiss the rest of their prospects. But I do think a lot of teams would like to have their goalie depth uh, in, in the prospect system. Like I, I think of a, t- a team like Toronto or, or Detroit before they drafted Kosa. And, and having Garrett Samiak, uh, Tyler Muslick now, Mac, or Mac Guzda, who had a really good season last year. They have a lot of guys that I think have potential. But again, goalies are so weird. I think the biggest thing that they've done well is the fact that they went, hey, here's three goalies that are legitimate prospects behind Spencer Knight. And while Spencer Knight's obviously a great A goalie prospect, Gareth Samiak is, a, I think, a B, a, a B minus guy. Tyler Music's probably a C plus guy. Matt Goose is a B, a B guy. So I think they have guys that maybe they're NHL backups. Maybe they're NHL 1Bs. I don't think any of them are necessarily going to be starters, but in I was going to say in a few years, you could see a, a, a night Garasemiak or a night Guzda pairing, but uh, Sergei Bobrovsky's there until the end of time. So <laughs> never mind. I forgot about Matt Guzda. I'm sorry, Matt Guzda. I, I will never Sergei dis- Bobrovsky. I will never disrespect <laughs> you like that again. My, Sergei Bobrovsky, that's a different story. I might. Uh... I will never respect you again, Sergei. He, he, I, I will give him the due respect for his play while at the same time being like, if they can get off that contract by any means necessary, you know, got to do it. Um, another, another listener question that we got so we can we can start just kind of going into the questions like this. Our, uh, Kyle Green, K Green 829 asked, uh, who are the top guys to watch out for midseason call ups? And we already talked about the defense position. So in terms of the AHL roster, if uh, a couple of guys get hurt, who do you imagine is the first or second name on the call-up sheet right now? Well, I, think, I, I think it depends on where where in the lineup those guys get hurt. If it's top six guys, I think you, you could look for a Heponiemi or a Denisenko. But if it's guys that they want to fill, if they want to promote guys from that bottom six and fill in those spots, I think a guy like Justin Sordiff, who's going to be playing his first uh, – uh, first AHL season this year could be getting a look if he's looking good down there. I think a guy like Sarah Noel finally gets a look, maybe an extended look because he's a guy that I think could fit perfectly in a bottom six. Doesn't necessarily need to be a, a skilled guy. He doesn't need to put up a ton of points, but he's a guy that understands how to play the game, plays a pretty solid two-way game. You're not looking to, to steal a spot, but he's a guy that could come in and secure that bottom six. And, and at the end of the day, you look and you go, Hey, now we have a guy that looks good in this bottom six. I think the, the the Florida Panthers have a lot of guys that could fill those roles in the in the kind of bottom six, middle six. And I think sort of and Sarah Noel are probably the two guys that I'd look to first. Yeah, and Sorry, I mean, the answer we were looking for was Zach Delpy. It was a trick question. <laughs> uh, Zach Delpy, <laughs> the eternal prospect. I mean, he played like 30 NHL games in the bubble or not the bubble, but you know, the, the COVID shortened season. So like he, he can hang at least like, you know, he's not going to be a fridge. That's why he's the captain of the AHL team. Yeah. I can't believe we went this long to, to actually talk about Justin sort of, he's my favorite forward prospect in the entire system. 
who either hasn't been on the show or isn't from Florida. Uh, although I guess the primary forward prospect from Florida has been on the show. So I really could have left it there. Man, I'm just yeah. looking at Zach Delphi's page right now. Just be like his EP page. 32. I, I This is going to age. Prospect a age, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to age me a little bit, but I remember playing the NHL video game when he had like a, an A minus potential for whatever reason. And I always traded for him and he'd always end up being like an 88. And I'm like, oh, yeah, look at Zach Delphi on my right wing. And awesome. it'd be Zach Delphi and in, 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 uh, oh, what's the guy that used to follow everyone on Twitter? Oh, Zach Boychuk. Zach Boychuk. Those two. I don't know why they always had crazy high potentials on the NHL video game. Terrible twosome. I'd always pair them together. (laughs) You know who else did that? Zach Delphi. Zach Delphi also did that. He picked himself up on in the NHL. Zach Boychuk does still follow me, and I don't follow him. So that's pretty cool. Shout out Zach Uh, Boychuk, but not really. You're weird. There's someone that, like... In my head, he and Zach Delpy are the same person, even though, because like I always, uh, what's his name? I always think that Zach Delpy is really short because I always mix him up with Nathan Gerby. Thank you. <laughs> He's like five foot four. And Delpy is six two. But for some reason, when I picture Zach Delpy, I always picture him as being Nathan Gerby size. Yeah, and I don't know why I always like mix the two of them up oh man imagine the short man line of zach delpy nathan gerby and tyler ennis let's go oh, tyler ennis is he still in the nhl is he still in edmonton he's I still kicking around somewhere. He's, he's somewhere that's for sure tyler ennis like is he he's minnesota got, most recently is that what it is or he's buffalo got the or? half-life of a, no, not, like a fossil he can he can go he can ottawa go. there you go ottawa god ottawa. i'm Making big I basically moves. just went backwards in his career before he was with Toronto. Alex Debrinkat, Tyler Ennis. This oh, is a logical goodness. progression. I do, I do feel like that's a, a really big uh, snub that we haven't talked about Justin Sordiff at all. And I mean, I, I'm about sure Tyler. that you have some, you have some attributes that you're ready to to spout off about him. So let, let's let's make sure that we get that in. Your thoughts on Justin Sordiff, Tony? I think Justin Sordis is a really good middle six guy. I don't think he's going to be a guy that scores a ton at the NHL level, but I think he's a guy that's going to provide a lot of sandpaper. He's going to be able to work hard, an excellent four checker. I think it's going to be his first season in the AHL this year. Yeah. You're going to give him time to kind of adjust to the pro game, kind of adjust to, to what he's going to be at the pro level. But this is a guy that I think at the end of the day, he's going to be a really good third liner. Um, I, I, I hate the term elite third liner, but I, that's what this guy could end up being. He skates fairly well. Mason Marchman replacement. Mason Marchman replacement. <laughs> that's actually not a bad idea. That's what I'm hearing. Great four checker, elite third liner. I mean, yeah. Mason Marchman. Yeah. He could be a Mason Marchman. I wouldn't be shocked if a guy like Justin Sordiff, because he does have some offensive pop to his game, pops off and scores 25 goals in a year and puts up a 50-point season or something like that at the NHL level. If things work out well, he gets put in a really good spot and stuff like that. Maybe that's what he ends up being. But I think this is, at the end of the day, going to be a guy that puts up 35 to 45 points, uh, a guy that four checks hard, plays physically, plays a good two-way game, probably on the wing at the NHL level. I know he plays some center at the the junior level, but I think he is going to be a winger. 
I, I think this guy is a really good prospect, a guy that I, I've loved watching over the last few years. I know in his draft year, there were some people that were kind of crapping on his offensive output, but he was doing a really good job of doing everything on a really bad Vancouver Giants team that year. So I look at this guy and I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what he's able to do at the NHL level because I, I do think he's a good prospect. I think he's going to be a good second, third line guy that really contributes in a lot of different ways, even if it's not on the score sheet. So before we before we start to wrap, Tony, I have there's one more player that I that I particularly want to focus on. Uh, but before I do, I want to see if he is the answer to the question that I'm about to ask. Uh, and that question, Tony, is who is the guy, like the under the radar guy that we haven't talked about, that's that no one's really talking about, who has the best chance of being someone for the Florida Panthers. Jack Devine. Yes! Oh, really? Oh, yes! Oh, hell yeah. Nailed it! <laughs> no, that yeah. the like, exact I, answer I was looking for. This I was, was shocked. Not scripted. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> I, I was really... I, I said Jack Devine fully thinking that wasn't who you wanted. <laughs> that was exactly the guy that I was going to ask. That, that Full was disclosure. Exactly one more guy that I wanted to ask. About. Jack Devine... Well... We, we legitimately think he's a, a, a good prospect, especially for a seventh rounder, but he's also from the same city that Jake is from in uh, the same Chicago suburb as Jake and uh, uh. Glencoe. But, but we legitimately do think highly of him as a player, you know, another national champion. Yeah, no, I think Jack Devine was a really, really good pick in the, in the seventh round. I had him ranked much, much higher. I think I had him ranked at the middle of the third round uh, on my last board of the, of the year. So he's a guy that I really like this year. He's got a lot of really high-end motor, works hard, just a dog and a bone at times, getting the puck in the offensive zone. He's one of those guys that even when the, the rest of his team is leaving the offensive zone, when they've given up the puck or when the other team takes, it he's still in there trying to work hard and get it back and there's so many times where you all watch him and he's he's gotten the puck back in the offensive zone there's no one around for him so he just tried to bulldog his way to the net he's not always successful with it but those little traits you look at this guy and you're like man if he can do that at the nhl level i i think he can I, I think he can play pretty solidly in the middle six. I don't think he's going to be a, a fourth line guy. I do have a lot more faith in him than, than some people do. I think he's a, D, a good skater. He works hard, really good playmaker, really underrated playmaker. I think he's got the ability to kind of see his teammates in the, in, in good spots and put the puck on their stick and find them on the back door. He's got that physicality to his game that isn't necessarily, like I said, he's not going to blow guys up. He's not six foot three, six foot four. He's pushing six feet. So he's a guy that is just going to work hard. I, I look at a guy like Zach Hyman. I look at a guy like Michael Bunting and, and different guys around the league like that. You want those guys in your lineup. You want those guys to, to do a lot of, of just little things to make the rest of the play better. Jonathan Huberdeau isn't going to find success unless he has a guy like this on his line. And Austin Matthews is going to find success unless he has a guy on this line. It's very rare that you get a guy that like Matthew Kachuk, who's now on the, on the Panthers that is able to do this and be the offensive catalyst. And while I don't think Jack Devine is going to be this offensive play driver, he's going to be a capable grinder. And one of those guys that you look at him and you go, okay, the, I don't like using the term competent bum, but at the end of the day, you need a lot of competent bums to play with your stars because the, the stars aren't going to be the ones going in the corners. I can Mason put it Marchman. I can put it in a way that's like more glowing. He got that dog in him. He got that dog. In it's him. that simple. 
Yeah. Actually, I, I do want to draw a difference between elite third liner and capable bum. The elite third liner is Mason Marchment. The capable bum is Ryan Lomberg. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like these uh, names to faces. Uh, while we're talking about Jack Devine, uh, what were your overall I'm still just like over the moon that the one guy that I want to ask you about, <laughs> but I want to see if he if he's the answer to this question. I'm very glad that you was. brought him up in that way. <laughs> And I, and I want to give a shout out to our, our listener, Sam, Sam Demand, one, two, three, two, one. Why is Jack Devine the greatest seventh round pick of all time? And because I mean, he got that dog in him and he's from Glencoe, Illinois. Like that's exactly those are two very important factors. Yes. And, and uh, what I was going to say is um, what were your general thoughts on their most recent draft class? And I think this is pretty much what we can wrap it up with. Maybe there's one or two guys you want to talk about beyond Jack Devine, who we obviously just dug deep on. Yeah, their, their recent draft class, I think they did well for what they had. Obviously, no, they could in the third round, but I think getting Jack Devine in the seventh round, even Liam Arnsby in the seventh round, I think those were two really good picks. It almost sounds weird. Like when I when I was writing about their draft class, when I did this uh, little prospect pool overview, I, I was like, man, their, their last three picks in Muselik, Arnsby, and Devine are probably my favorite, <laughs> three favorite picks that they made. And yeah, it was... sounds super weird to say that. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm just a, a goof thinking that, but. I think they got some really solid value late. Sanders Villamanis is a guy that great has name. a ton of great name. Fan, fantastic name. All name team for sure. But he's a guy that has like those video game qualities, has some skill, but you watch him and you're like, oh, you have no idea how to play the actual game of hockey sometimes. And that's the problem with him. But you love seeing that skill. You love seeing those that ability to kind of do things on the ice that some other players just don't have the capability of doing. So I think they did well for what they had. Like I said, they made seven picks. Four of them were in the sixth and seventh round. And they're probably four of my favorite picks of their, of their draft class. That's pretty much what we said at the time. Yeah. I, TJ, I think, it, I think it was you who even said like, it's interesting because and uh, Tony, I would love to just get like a one sentence take on this opinion from you because the Panthers don't have these early picks they can focus more of their efforts on the latter half of the draft, which could easily make the latter, their last few picks look a lot better because they have the Panthers probably generate a lot more information on these late picks on these later, these later prospects, these lower ranked guys, because they're not paying attention to the guys on the top end that all the other scouts are going to watch. Cause they know they don't have those picks anyway. They're not going to be scouting counter Bedard. Yeah. That's just it. Right. When you don't have to, to worry about who you're going to draft fifth or sixth overall you're not worried about watching 10 games of or 15 20 30 games of connor geeky you're not going to worry about watching 20 games of Braden yeager this year because there's no chance you're getting them oh, so great. you watch 40 guys towards the end of the draft class and you, you find a few that you really really like and then you end with a, a draft class like this where honestly if you flip this entire draft class on its head you said Jack Devine was in the third, Lydia Martinsby was in the fourth, Muslik was in the fifth, and then you had uh, Allshire, Jansen, Villamanis, and, and Davies go towards the end of the draft. I, I think you'd be like, all right, that's a fantastic job that they did. So it, it's one of those weird draft classes where I think they did do really well late. And like you said, being able to focus on the la- latter half of the draft, maybe that is an advantage for those rounds. At the same time, it'd be pretty sweet to be able to draft an entire round. Yeah, the the – you're throwing darts at that point yeah. in the draft. It's I'll nice take. to have a better idea of where your darts might land, but you'd yeah. rather have the darts that are more likely to land in the bullseye in the earlier rounds. Yeah, uh, hot take. Drafting Connor Bedard 
is good. It's better than drafting Jack Devine. Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, though Jack be. Devine is good. We like him. Although, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Jack Devine. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that there's probably like some 2017 fourth rounder who's better than Nolan Patrick. You know? Oh, like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> no doubt. In fairness, so who knows? that 2017 draft sucked. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Every the, the top end, first top end was sucked. rough. <laughs> I mean, Kale McCarr is like, so like half rough, the war. It's, you he's like the, half the, the war. You've got the McEichel, and then you've got Matthews Line, and then you have Heesher and Patrick. And I love Heesher. I think he's super Heischer's, underrated. Heesher's like, awesome. Yeah. But like the a lot of that draft class is like so, so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't get Heesher number one, you'd feel like much better about him as a player. Cause like, oh, yeah. Even if he was like number three, you'd be like, this guy. Yeah, rocks. I was just going to say, like, if you had him third or fifth, like, you're like, oh man, like, what a steal. Yeah, I mean, look but, at the way that, um, what's the name of the Winnipeg guy that was drafted by Columbus? Dubois? Yeah. Look at the way Dubois is treated. Everybody's yeah. like, oh my God, Pierre well, Luc Dubois. <laughs> but like, is he better than Nico Heischer? I would say no. No. No, I don't think so. And it's just like where draft position, you know, affects your perception. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So Tony has an article on this very subject, the Florida Panthers prospect pool that is already out as this is being released. Tony, where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari because I'm the only Tony Ferrari that matters. Um, and all my works at the Hockey News. Uh, and yeah, the Florida Panthers prospect pool overview. I went into just a quick overview of everyone. I, I talked a little bit about the Kachuk trade in there as well. Um, went into their draft class, reviewed the, all the later round picks that they, they made. Uh, went to the strengths and weaknesses, the next man up, a little bit of the prospect pool depth chart, and just kind of guys that uh, might be worth noting and stuff. So it's a, it's a fun little article. I did one for every team, and Florida should be out now. Awesome. Tony, where, where should people rate the podcast five stars this week? Uh, iTunes is where you do it. And if you really don't want to do it there, Spotify. No, come on. Too. Everyone does it on iTunes. Where, where, where should our listeners go to rate our podcast? Everyone does iTunes and Spotify. Come on. Let's get creative here, Tony. Oh, I don't know. Do it on Spotify. That's where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it from Tony. Rate us five stars on Spotify this week. Uh, Tony, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. No problem, boys. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. 
not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 